change if you want to. <laughs> Surprise, Josh. <laughs> Says Anthony in the bulletin, too. No respect. I'm like a cicada. Josh knows who was speaking. He did. And I did. That's the most important thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like a cicada now. I pop up about every 17 years. Make a bunch of noise. Drive everybody crazy. And then kind of go off and just... Well, wait, they die in about two weeks, don't they? So I'll pass on that illustration. Let's suppose uh, I had a lump of coal here and a diamond. And I were to offer you one of them. Which one would you take? It's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? One's beautiful, the other one's not. Um, Diamonds get all the hype because of that. I mean, do you look at a, a piece of coal and say how beautiful? Dogs are a man's best friend, and what's a woman's best friend? Yeah, right? One is uh, really rare, and it's cherished for that reason. The other one's found all over the world. Uh, One is taken and shaped and, and formed carefully and put out to market so that people can wear them as jewelry. The other one, pickaxe down deep in the ground, come up all dirty, get it to the fire. It, 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 it burns and either lights our, our uh, room in the dark or provides heat force or something, but it, gets, it just gets no respect, right? If you're going to propose to somebody, though, fellas, you better, better go with the diamonds, right? And um, if you need cash tonight, and there was these two sitting up here, you better, better go with the diamond, I would say. And if you were deserted on an island and you were cold, you better go with the better go with the coal. So I guess it kind of depends, doesn't it? Kind of depends on what you need. And uh, for that reason, we're going to look at the church tonight, kind of in both ways. But I want to focus on the coal functionality of it because I think it's more what we need it's what God's made us to be more like and uh, even though those things are both actually carbon interestingly uh, diamond diamonds been under a lot more pressure they are made up of the same thing and uh, the diamond though it needs it needs some vision and purpose the coal is 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 just given its purpose. But there's a story of a, of a guy named uh, Russell Conwell. He's actually the founder of Temple University. Uh, he was born in 1843, and he became a, a, a lawyer when he was young, and then he began to edit the newspaper. Uh, he went into ministry then, and he kind of developed a heart for Christian education, and uh, that's how a lot of our universities started, right? Um, and so he started traveling to raise funds to start Temple University. And it's said about him that he spoke over 6,000 times uh, to to audiences to um, move them into contributing uh, to his uh, desire to start this university. And one of the stories he told nearly every occasion was called Acres of Diamonds, 
Uh, it was a true story. It was one that he had experience with himself. Um, and uh, the story goes that uh, there's an African farmer who had an estate. And uh, nearby, some of the other farmers on the continent had discovered diamonds and, and, and developed diamond mines on their properties and became very, very rich. And so this farmer, uh, excited by this prospect, kind of like our gold rush back in the day, right? Uh, excited by this, he sold out, uh, took the money. It was a, it was a paid-for estate. He had it paid off, so he took all the proceeds, and he went searching, prospecting, so that he could find an area and, and perhaps purchase the field or, or the mountain or whatever and um, lay his claim to that property. All his dreams had come true, right? Well, it, it's said of this farmer that he spent his whole life looking for uh, uh, and prospecting for diamonds. And he became so despondent about it, ran out of money, that he threw himself into a river and drowned. Meanwhile, back on the ranch... The person who bought the ranch was crossing a stream and noticed a, a blue and red flash in the water as he crossed the stream and he backed up and he reached down and picked it up and here it was a, a large diamond. He thought it was crystal. He just thought it was interesting. So he, he took it back home with him. He put it up on the mantle and he just kind of pondered it. It was rough yet. It wasn't like a finished diamond like you'd have on, on your hands, ladies. Um, I guess I have a picture up here. That's a diamond up there on the left. Um, but it, it still um, had more clarity perhaps than this one. And, and he noticed it, was, it was, had some beauty to it. And he liked to look at it. But about three weeks into it, a friend came to visit him at his house, noticed it up there, and having some experience with diamonds, he went over and picked it up and hefted it. And it says he nearly fainted. And, and asked him, do you know what this is? And he said, no, I thought it was, I thought it was crystal or, or something like quartz or something like this. He said, it's a diamond. This is probably one of the largest ones ever found. And he said, well, there's, there's more in the creek. <laughs> like it. Well, you know, the moral of the story, right? The guy that, the guy that sold out and went and searched of, of diamonds was actually surrounded by them. He didn't, didn't recognize, he didn't, he didn't prepare himself by uh, perhaps understanding what they looked like, maybe checking out his own place where he was dwelling and looking to see if he had any potential on his own property. He just got excited and went where everybody else said it was awesome, right? Went and hunted there. And um, so... The reason I told that tonight is because I think, I think we're in a diamond mine here. I, I really do. Um, I, think, I think we're standing right in a diamond mine. Um, some of us are a little rougher around the edges and uncut. Um, looks a little, look a little more like that maybe. And some of us are a little bit more like that. And I suppose the way we look to each other is, is kind of in the eyes of the beholder. You know, to God, 
we're all precious jewels. We're all precious jewels. And we need to learn to look at each other that way. But the coal, the coal has more of a function, maybe. Diamond, the diamond makes a statement. The diamond's pretty. It makes a statement. It, it says, look at me, and is quite dazzling. And it's fascinating to look into a diamond, kind of get you in a trend if you just really look really hard. I can't look up my wife's diamond that I bought her. It's too small. I have to look at somebody else's in here to do that. But uh, They're beautiful, but the coal has function. It has a function. That's what's going to help you survive is the coal. Think about that for a second. And that's what we need. We need the functionality. Do you remember last year in the Sunday morning classes talking about Romans chapter 12 where the apostle said that for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another he went on to say having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Uh, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those are functions that we, that we perform, that we contribute to one another. And we're in the midst of a, of a great series in Bible classes and and um, from the pulpit on Sunday mornings on, on one another, I don't think we could tap that mine out talking about that. I think we need to spend a lot of time talking about that. But uh, God's designed the church to function optimally. And uh, each one is given grace gifts for ministering to each other and to the lost. And when we read passages like one, Psalm 139, where the psalmist said, I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and that my soul knows very well. We tend to think when we, when we hear that psalm or we think about God's awesome creative power, we tend to think about the physical. Uh, Job spoke uh, again of that very thing about God's power in, in, the, in the body, uh, the design of the body. But I think there's more to it than than that. When David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, he may have been looking down on his hands. He may have been thinking about eyesight. He may have been thinking about the taste buds and enjoying some food at the time or, or something like this, but it's quite possible that he was also thinking about his intellect, um, his, his emotion, his spirit, his personality. We tend to think of the physical, but, but think about the design of the, of the human being having a spirit when we think of the body of Christ. We think of people, I hope, right? We're, we're to that point, I think, when we say church, we don't, hopefully don't just think of the brick and mortar. I think most of us would say the church is us. But do you think about each one being a living spirit designed by God to come together to function in specific ways, each one deferring, but bringing that together to function. 
that kind of adds a little bit uh, to, to the notion that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So he, he made more than just our physical bodies. He made our spirits. And then he graced us with specific functionality in the church to bring together and to use. So the body we were talking is has come together for ministry, to minister to one another. There'll be a sermon about that coming up, I'm sure, on Sunday mornings. And the elders and the evangelists, and in that context, the, the, the prophets and apostles also in Ephesians 4, were tasked with equipping the saints for this ministry. Now, God gave the abilities but the leaders are to pull those out. They're to resource them. They're to provide uh, an environment, a culture, if you will, where these gifts, these abilities, these ministries can be brought together for a single purpose. In fact, I, I don't remember personally me ever touching on this. I'm kind of shamed I didn't. But, you know, in Ephesians 12... Uh, the leaders are to equip the saints for the work, singular, of ministry. It doesn't say works of ministry. It doesn't say work of ministries. It says for the work of ministry. And that brings into view the, the mission. That is, that no matter what ministry you're serving in or what function you're serving in, it's for the singular work of ministering the gospel to one another. And to those outside of the body of Christ that need the gospel. So it's a work that we do, a work of ministry. But when you, in your own specific function, are working, you are ministering. And since they're differing, different, we have ministries. But it's interesting there in that passage that it's all considered together the work of ministry, and that is that ministry, Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling men to God through Jesus Christ. So there's a work of ministry. I would propose that that's the mission of taking the gospel into all the world, making disciples, starting with us. You know, we're not very good at making disciples if, if we're not making ourselves disciples, right? So it's always it's always geared to us, I would argue, first, first, and then to those outside. So you remember and recall some of those. We spent the entire year, Anthony and I did, drilling you poor folks over these three, answering these three questions about ministry. Why ministry? How or who ministry? Who ministers? And uh, what is ministry in the Bible. And, and all that teaching for that year answered those three questions. Well, on the third Sunday night of each month, uh, I've been given the freedom to talk about this because we don't want to leave it to die. We haven't just put this in the books or in the records and archives for 2016. And we kind of got that under our belt and we're, we're going on to something else. This is something that we are building and, and bringing into the culture here with us, that we're all ministers, that we all have function. And so tonight, you know, I thought, 
we'll use the time to serve as a reminder of where we've been. The precious nature of each one of you. And also to start talking a little bit about some of the practical implementation of this and and how it should look in the church. So I would like to spend um, some of these evenings, monthly in the evening, looking at examples from scripture of churches and the types of things they were doing, individuals with gifts deferring according to the grace that was given them. What, What were they doing? When you look at the the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2, for example, and you go through and read from from chapter 2 through to chapter 8, when they were finally persecuted and dispersed, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel, when you look at all the activity that was taking place during that time, you'll find the disciples using that giftedness. You'll find them doing medial tasks that just need done. And I came away with, a, with the idea that, you know, uh, this isn't at all unlike what we're doing and wanting to do here at Pickerington. It's not unlike it at all. It's just, you know, they wore sandals and we have some different styles of shoes and they were in a different time from us. They had some different circumstances they were dealing with than we do. But what the members were doing is, it's kind of fascinating to me, actually, What took place for them to have church in their home, for example? When they got together, what did they do? Why why does it say they came together? But when uh, did they come together? Where did these are the three questions I like to answer? When did they do ministry? Where did they do ministry? And and how did they do ministry? Just take some time on that. And. uh, as we try to uh, implement some of these things, which is the task I'm primarily um, engaged in right now with the church, maybe why you don't see me as much, but I've got my fingers in a lot of different things with, with a lot of different people, uh, to build ministry, to build ministry here. Uh, so this is kind of going on. Uh, you'll be tapped. You'll be reached out to if you haven't already. And... Um, if you're not engaged, that's the key. The aim, 100% involvement. That's the aim. That every Christian who is called into Christ would be called into the ministry of the gospel. That's what God wants. So that not only would we do the work of ministry, but in doing so, we become his workmanship. If we're not working, we can't really be workmanship right? The, the workmanship is when there's shaping and crafting, maybe taking some of these edges off and polishing so that you're looking more like this, but you're acting more like this. In the Hebrew passage that uh, Brother Rex used this morning in his sermon from chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, It begins with a therefore, which means it's kind of the end of a thought, right? Therefore, the writer says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Now, Anthony used the text out of chapter 3 this morning as a primary text. I think he made mention to this, but here in chapter 10, exhorting one another comes up again. And then he goes on to finish that thought and says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think probably there have been times where I've personally, when I taught class or even tonight, it sounds like I'm presuming that we aren't doing things or not doing it enough. That, that just it kind of tends when, when I'm studying and then I go to present something to the church. I kind of think about the things that we need to do and overlook the fact that there's much being done. But I see these phrases like this, so much the more as we see the day approaching. Paul said in another place, we're closer now than when we first began. Right? Having begun in the Spirit. So every day we're closer to that kingdom where we shall see. Every day we're closer to the day when we depart from this place. So as that day is coming, when either Christ returns and we are alive, or you depart first and await Him in paradise. Until then... Paul said, let your love abound more and more and exhort one another because of unbelief that tends to creep in so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's really what we're after. This congregation, Sam appealed to this this morning. I appreciate it in class that there's, there's much warmth here. There's much love. There's many good works that are going on. And we simply want to make sure that our work that we're doing is not in vain. That our work has an aim to it where we can walk people in our good works toward Christ. Uh, where we can, in other words, not only provide an example of good works, but also be available to help people come to know Christ through teaching the gospel. We want to be able to improve our ability to do that. We want to be able to reach the thousands and thousands of lost people in our communities. I mean, we're in Pickerington right here by zip code. But really, I mean, there's not many of us that kind of live in this community of cornfields. There's a few around close by. But we even have to go out into our communities, plural. We have to be united when we do this. We've, we've got to have a central aim when we do this, and that is to bring people into an understanding of the gospel. So we want our good works to be toward an end, the saving of souls, a reconciliation of men with their God. And I hope you understand uh, then. So I, that's a rejoinder I just took. Just So I'm not pushing too hard, but helping us understand there's much we can do yet. There's much we can do yet to unify our efforts and improve our efforts. So when the Hebrew writer says, therefore, let us draw near, let us hold fast our confession, and let us consider one another, he says, not forsaking the assemblies, the assembling of yourself together. This is when these things were happening. We're drawing near together. 
For example, in communion, we draw near to each other and draw near to Christ in communion. It's togetherness. We hold fast our confession. Who do I confess this to? Well, I confess it to you and you hold me accountable to that. That happened when I was baptized into Christ. I confessed it with my mouth so that I could be held accountable by others to that. And so we come together and hold fast our confession, but there's accountability couched in that. That has to happen together. And this part where he says, uh, let us consider one another, exhorting one another because we're actually all getting older and getting closer to the day. There's urgency there. He says, don't forsake the assembly because that's where this happens. This is where you minister to one another. Maybe in this auditorium, but I'll even go further because right now, who's ministering to who? Who's exhorting who? You've got one guy right now speaking and over 100 people just listening. But this is all inclusive. One another's all inclusive. Exhort one another. When, when does Cliff have a chance then to exhort Matt? If we don't provide an environment, if we don't provide settings where we can grow closer to one another as, as Brother Rex encouraged us to do the last couple weeks to get to know somebody. This year, he was very generous by saying this year, maybe this week, we need settings, church, where we can draw close to one another in confession, where we can share those things that are our hearts and minds and pray for one another that we might be healed, uh, where we can exhort one another in specific ways and pray for specific things that are going on because we know each other and we're walking together. These are the environments that we need to create. And it happens in one sense in this big room, under this one room, uh, under this one roof, it happens in one sense. But for us to fully fulfill this and for us to be helped how God wants us to help each other, we'll need to make sure that every member has the ability, the availability to be together with Christians in a setting that's more intimate where we can grow closer to one another and exhort one another. Now, for many of us, it might be after, it might be after the assembly here, staying out in the, in the foyers and in the pews and in the parking lots and talking and getting to know one another. I know I was able to share a meal today with somebody after church, my wife and I, and we got closer to that family. Many of you have done that. But this is one of the things that we want to work toward this year. So in a very practical way, I wanted to appeal to you tonight. I wanted to support what Anthony has challenged us all with. I wanted to appeal to you to think about whether or not you're in a, an environment or an atmosphere ever that you can confide in other Christians, that you can hold each other accountable to the confession that we made in Christ. And so uh, we want to try to provide those for you because the more time we spend together, the healthier we're going to become.
That's just a fact. The more time we spend together, the healthier we're going to become. The early church assembled to encourage and stir one another up daily uh, in those first days and months. Daily, imagine that in each other's homes. And we want to work toward that church. There, <clears throat> there's a couple of opportunities to give you examples of this. And then I'll, I'll sit down. This Thursday night, I think, is the first ladies' prayer group. So many of the women are going to meet here at the building. They're going to pray together, but I know what's going to happen. We're going to get to know each other. Not only through prayer, but through the close fellowship, through the conversations. That's a very special time. I want to encourage you ladies to do that, if at all possible. If, if you can't do it at that time, perhaps you could consider uh, creating another group of people that could meet you at another time. Uh, we're about to start home Bible study groups. Uh, that'll begin on February 7th. That's a Tuesday. Uh, there's one group right now that is um, planned to meet. And I want to throw this out to the entire congregation. Uh, we would be happy to help facilitate a small study, maybe once, maybe twice, seven, eight weeks, maybe one person's home, maybe rotating. But we want to encourage you, and this would be a way to, to answer the challenge that Anthony put out, to meet together with some other families or individuals and uh, facilitate some prayer time together, maybe some discussion over a scripture, and we can help with that uh, to equip you for that or to provide what's needed for that if you need it. But we just want to encourage that because we believe, we believe to accomplish the, the great things that, that we can do and need to do in our communities, it's got to start with us coming together and knowing each other and inviting other people into those settings. So there's some opportunities there. I want you to, to think about that and challenge you to uh, volunteer to, to host um, or meet somewhere with someone in, uh, within the next few weeks, get something started like that, and really get to know one another. Really get to know one another. It's going to be a beautiful thing that we're striving for. I think we're going to grow more and more, and we think, well, I like the way things are now, and that's good. Wait till we grow. Wait till we grow. It'll be even better. So I'll leave you with that. Kind of a, I know it's kind of a practical talk tonight as much as anything. But uh, let's be prayerful together for uh, our work in the church here. Let's be prayerful for our shepherds, for our uh, evangelists, for our teachers, for all of our ministry leaders, and for every member to find what God has given them to do to function in this body, to really make it extra healthy, extra healthy. Uh, would you pray with me? And then I'll uh, step down. Father in heaven, we come to you tonight uh, to thank you for the opportunity to talk about precious things, important things, things that are on your mind, uh, your business. I pray, God, that we will uh, that we'll yield to your words and have faith in you and trust you that uh, how you've designed the church to be is what's best and that we can grow more and more. Help us to understand that um, uh, we, we can become um, more like Jesus. We can uh, serve with even greater efficiency and then help us, Father, at the same time to be able to, to 
to take a deep breath to uh, enjoy what we have together here in this meeting house, uh, to enjoy each person, uh, to bear with each other and rejoice when we rejoice and sorrow when we sorrow. I pray that we'll learn to do that in a more devoted way. Thank you for hearing our prayers. God, I believe you're answering our call and answering our prayers in this congregation. And we all pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're one who needs to become a Christian tonight, uh, we, we provide that opportunity right now. Donovan's going to come up and sing a, a song, and you can respond during that time. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>